0: Welcome in to the House of L podcast, episode 85. I'm very excited about today's episode. Uh, it, it's it, This was a lot of fun, and I know that I'm asking you to do a lot because this is one of the longest episodes of House of L, but I'm telling you, it is 100% worth it. I'm very excited about uh, my guest and our conversation And I think that it's a conversation that will answer a lot of questions that people have. Because Siafa and I intersected at Channel 5 and then I left. And you'll get a sense of why I left after you listen to this episode. So make sure that you stick around for it. If you haven't checked out previous episodes, like the episode with... Shakia Taylor or Chris Ranji or Joe Cowley, you truly, truly should. Uh, they're all excellent episodes of the podcast, and I think that you will enjoy them very much. And away we go. Um, I'm not going to waste a lot of time because the this episode is really long, and I would suggest that you listen to it at 1.25 times if you have the capability to do that. Or if you've got a nice long drive ahead of you or you're going to be out and about, take the time. And it, it it's worth a couple of car rides to listen to Siafa's origin story. It's really a harrowing story. And you're going to hear a lot about how he got to where he is, where not only is he doing sports and doing a great job of doing sports at Channel 5, he's also doing news now. Like He did, he anchored the news on Saturday, and I think that that's a really wonderful thing. So we have a conversation that goes all the way back to, <laughs> strangely enough, all the way back to Africa. And we spend a lot of time talking about Africa, but that's what happens. You get two buddies in a room, you put some microphones in front of us, and it's good. But you'll hear what it took for Siafa to get to NBC5. And it is a long, winding road filled with all sorts of disappointment and unfulfilled promises. So, NBC5's fantastic lead sports anchor, Siafa Lewis, my guest for episode 85 of the House of L podcast. Oh man, I am uh, glad that we are doing this. I'm very glad that you made time in between I am shows. I'm honored. I'm honored that we're doing honored. This. Yeah. Come on, man! You, Get out. you knew that you were on the list of people that were going to end up
1: on this podcast. I have a lengthy drive to and fro work, so listening to your interviews is is part of my my regularly scheduled program.
0: Well, thank you. I'm glad that you were available to do this, and I, I, your backstory I think is interesting, and then you know, our intersection. Is interesting and and all sorts of stuff, man. But I I to we we gonna talk about the suits. I promise you that that we gonna talk about the suits. When when was the point where you felt like this is what you wanted to do?
1: Oh, okay. So um, I can't I can't do the whole story because this is <laughs> it'll take way too long. But um, people can listen to it at one and a half times and then they don't. Have to, or you, you, know, ever, you ever do that by mistake? Yeah,
0: one and a half and is too really bad for really me. Slow. You can do. I forgot the name of the app, but I'll find it. But there's an app that you can do 1.25.
1: Yeah, which perfect. is just perfect.
0: Okay, perfect. If, well, if, if you're if you're short on time,
1: I've been I've been done to talk very very fast anyway, so I don't think you have to hit the 1.25 <laughs> or the 1.5. What What did he say? He ate that word. What? Um, so I was born in West Berlin, West Germany. Um, the only sport that I grew up watching or being cognizant of before we moved to the states was soccer or foosball. So we moved here when I was seven. Um and that was my first exposure to North American sports or American sports for lack of a better term. Um, my mom bought me this little square radio when I was like ten years old. And for some reason, this kid from Germany started listening to sports talk radio when I was hooked. I loved listening to sports talk radio. Uh your sister's station in Philadelphia, six ten WIP. It's now ninety four WIP, but whatever. One of the, On the originators
0: FM. of the genre.
1: That's right. Um, So I I grew up listening to sports talk radio, uh, became an avid sports fan. I was going to be better than Bo Jackson. I was going to play baseball and football, be better than Bo, because why not? Freshman year of college, uh, high school, freshman year of high school, I did not make my freshman year baseball team. And I was like, I can't be better than Bo Jackson if I can't play baseball. So at that point I kind of thought about what I would do with my life. I don't know why a freshman in high school is having these thoughts, but I thought if I couldn't if I couldn't play the sports I wanted to play, the next best thing would be to talk about them.
0: I had a similar
1: experience. I mean, I kept playing, but So did I. I mean, I played I played football, I ran track, so I played after that, but I just the 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 two sport dream kind of faded in at that point. I was like, well, I can always talk about sports. Did, did they have anything
0: at your school where you could work on any of this? Like, was there a radio station or a TV station there? Th- this is a long time ago. Well, I know. But, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I know that us HF kids are very special in that regard. Oh, boy. But, I go. mean, th- 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 that's what they had available for us. Did is, they really? In the
1: oh, late 90s? That's awesome. Mid-90s.
0: No, no. Way older. Uh, the late 80s, early 90s. Okay. So, I... So for my my story, for people who listen to the podcast for the first time, freshman year, playing ball, destroy my ankle. Like, mm. destroy it. Was serial casted. Had three bones fused into one Damn. in my right ankle. So my basketball dreams were completely over. And I eventually recovered and played baseball and football. But um, it... It was over from uh, kind of like you. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not. Yeah. Now I ended up playing baseball through college, and I got the, the a couple of pro tryouts. Nice, which was nice. Like this is about as far as I was going to be what able to go catcher. Okay, it's about as far as I was going to be able to go. But I still, with my parents' out somewhere. There's a letter from the Expos, the Marlins, and the Braves. Nice that I got invited to, you know, one of those regional like tryout things. Yeah, yeah. but it was fun to not be told to go home immediately like i, I yeah. made it halfway through and so we got to the hitting and then <laughs> they were like you gotta go home because you can't hit and i'm like "Oh, okay you're right you're, you're probably right about that but luckily at hf there was a radio station this is how i know ben bradley ben bradley and i were high school schoolmates like we we're, we're classmates we're in the same class okay. and he was the news director like, wow. as a freshman at the –
1: yeah. As a freshman.
0: He's always known what Over, he wanted to overachiever. do. Overachiever. He's always known okay. that he was going to be Ben Bradley. Like, he's <laughs> known for forever. And I think that he'll dispute this, but this is 100% truth. They had these newsreader tryouts for students. You know, I'm a kid from the south side on crutches coming in here <laughs> thinking I can – and I he was like, oh, you know, here, read this, and we'll see, you know, what you can do. And I was like, oh, you spelled Gorbachev wrong. He's like, you're hired. <laughs> and that's – we've been friends for details. 30 years wow. now. Um, so we already had that. And I I know that it was rare for a lot of places to, to have, but I, I wasn't sure like around the country, especially – if you start talking about East Coast, yeah,
1: if there were programs like that, so that's why I'm wondering, like, was there? I, I wonder if it other. I went to a Catholic high school. Um, I wonder if other high schools did. Uh, we did not have a radio station. We didn't have a TV station. Um, the main media teacher person had some kind of setup, but I wasn't really a part of that, so I don't. I don't know that much about it. So how'd
0: you get the fix of of saying, okay, this is what I want to do, and then be
1: able to go do it? I'm really hard headed. I am. Um, I, I don't have any explanation other than that. I just loved, loved, loved. Had an insatiable appetite for sports. Like we're just my mom. So in addition to buying me that um that weird funky little radio, I don't even know if I had an FM or not, but <laughs> doesn't really matter at this point. Um, she bought me a book. It was called Z. Z- oh my God, Holland and Zalander or Z- oh. It was like the complete book of baseball, and the complete book of football. One was 85, one was 86. And, I mean, we're talking like 500-page books. And the first, not even chapters, it's the first, I don't know, 100 pages were stories and recaps of prior seasons, and then it was like a breakdown of each player on every roster in the NFL and in baseball. And I would, at the dinner table, just devour those books. Like, there's so much useless data up in this head Um, And and just from those experiences at a very young age, I just knew that, again, at that point where I realized that I wasn't going to be this baseball star, that I always had that in my back pocket if the sports thing didn't work out. That's what I wanted to do, talk about sports. That's pretty great. So let me go back. Why were you in Germany? All right. So Charles Lewis, that's my dad, Agatha Lewis, both born in Liberia, western coast of Africa, Founded by freed slaves, thus the name Liberia Liberty, capital Monrovia after President James Monroe. Um, there were – so I come from freed slaves obviously because Charles and Agatha Lewis born in Africa. What, 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 huh? So um, my grandfather was James Cooper, my – that was my, my maternal grandfather, James Cooper, my paternal father, Charles Lewis Sr. Um, so my parents graduated college got married, and they were going to do the postgraduate studies in Germany because my father's father was an ambassador to Germany. That's how they ended up in Germany. They are doing the postgraduate studies. My dad was going to medical school to become a veterinarian. My mom was going to dentistry school. So that's where Chuck and Aggie had Siafa and then his younger brother Varsay five and a half years later. I remember, like yesterday, being in the room with my mom and my dad um, during a sonogram. And they're going over her stomach or whatever, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to have a little brother play foosball, or play soccer with, whatever. So fast forward to I don't know how many months later. He's born, and he has no arms. He only he has like a nub, if you will, for lack of a better term, up to his elbows. They didn't know. They had no indication of this until he came out. It was a a Catholic hospital, and they actually asked my mom if they wanted if she wanted to give up the baby for adoption. And she's like, "No, no, no! Why would I give up my baby for adoption?" So anyway, um, my my maternal grandfather, my mother's father, had fled to the U.S. after the coup attempt in Liberia in 1980. He almost lost his life, but luckily did not. But he was in the United States. And they felt the technology would be better for a young handicapped child in the U.S. than in Germany at the time. So that's how we ended up in the U.S. in 1985. I was seven. Wow. Yeah. Have you, ever, have you ever been to Liberia? I was in Liberia twice in my life. When I was a year and a half, my mother's younger brother died. I don't remember that time, obviously. And then in 1984, during the 84 Olympics, my dad took me to Sierra Leone for a month and then Liberia for a month. And that was my Syrialone whose house? alone was my grandfather's house at the time. And then I spent some time in Liberia with other family members as well. The history of Liberia is fascinating. And and truly sad as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: What what do your parents say about it? My dad's there right now actually. He'll be back in uh, two weeks. He he just retired. He's um <laughs> the story is so crazy. But he became a, a high school science teacher in southern New Jersey, and he just retired. He is uh, 69, so he went home to take care of some business affairs. So he'll be there till the 18th. Um, my dad actually got stuck in Liberia during another civil war. So, again, my grandfather left during a coup attempt in 1980 in which all the men of influence and power were either killed or attempted to be killed, including the president, who is my grandfather's friend. And then in nineteen eighty nine, nineteen ninety, 1990, another civil war broke out. So the, the the history behind Liberia is you had indigenous people who lived there and then freed slaves went there. So you had, they, they were known as the Americo-Liberians. They had very Anglicized names like Charles and Agatha and James. Um, and then you had indigenous people. My grandmother, my mother's mother, is an indigenous person. Very, very smart, but she didn't go to Western school. You know what I mean? Um, And there was always, there's always been that struggle and strife between the people who were there before and the newer people who were there, who were in power. And that's always been the history of that country. And to this day, I mean, they're not in the civil war right now, but the the guy who's president now, George Weah, former soccer star, um, he's just as corrupt as many of the people who came before him, unfortunately. So the infrastructure isn't very good. Um, I think what was it a couple years ago there was the um, the Ebola mm-hmm. outbreak there. Um, it's just
0: it's bad. whether it was Jefferson or Monroe, like the Jefferson had had an idea about let's teach black Americans, our slaves mm. democracy, and then send them over there instead of them living here because we'll never be able to reconcile.
1: This. Which is a very interesting thought in and of itself, isn't it? its 2000, is. In 2019.
0: It is. And but then like the flip side of it is exactly what happened in Liberia, where you're not you're not of here. It's not your land. It's not your land. Even though it's also like the whole concept of well, let's just send Africans back to Western Africa without their as if it's just a monolithic yep. continent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> You know, one, one, of the, one of the things that really always annoys me, and my mom even says this sometimes, and I, I get mad at her, when people refer to Africa like this distant place that's all the same. They're like 47 countries, and they're all extremely different. Forget about the people in one country. We're talking about 47 extremely diverse countries that are not in any way, shape, or form the same. So don't just say, I'm going to Africa. Tell me, nobody says, I'm going to North America. They'll say the U.S. or the ca- or Canada, or they'll usually say America, meaning the U.S. Yeah, and then
0: we start getting to tribal dialects and languages. Oh man, it's it, deep. It's, it's a whole thing. It's a. I will say this though. I'm I'm going to paint with a broad brush here. And the yeah. next question that I want to ask you: know a lot of Africans? Mm-hmm. Know a lot of African parents? Mm-hmm. I know what you mean. Sports caster. <laughs> <laughs> um. You got, they had to have wanted you to be a doctor or a lawyer or
1: something. Sportscaster? How did that go over? Oh, sportscaster came after acting and modeling. So you can oh, imagine. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Went to school to be a sportscaster, <laughs> rerouted it and pursued acting and modeling. Um, I don't know what it is or or I don't know how or why, but my mom had always been really big on making sure that her kids were happy with whatever they pursued. Now, her younger sister, I'm talking two years younger, her daughter, my cousin, Fernati, is 32. She graduated high school at like 16. She's a doctor living out in California. Do you get the comparisons? No. And then her younger son, Blamo, He's about 27, just spent a semester abroad in Germany. He is going to to law school. Wow. See, I almost feel like in situations
0: like that, like you have to make it. Like you can't just be, you know, like you just can't be some schmo that has dreams. Like they need
1: to see Siafa on the TV or else he should have gone and done something else. Well, luckily, I'm not in a position to to know what the alternative is or would have been. But, uh, yeah, it's so interesting you say that. I never felt that kind of pressure. That's great. And I know a lot of people who who have. Like I I said, my cousin. I mean, she was like a little wonder kid. Did she ever actually grow up and really enjoy being young? I have no idea. But she graduated high school at 16 years old because that's how driven or – how pushy she was by, Well, no, she life. had to be driven too, man. Did to, to you get that? Do, but, well, at, at that age though, at, at 14, 15, 16, if that's all, you know, that's true. I mean, cause a lot of kids burn out. You see that in athletics, not just at, academically. A lot of kids burn out when it's about the parent and not about the kid. Do you speak multiple languages? Man, I, I spoke, I spoke fluent in German and I knew English when I moved here. in uh, in, after first grade, but I didn't have that reinforcement of the German, so I lost it. There are a few words here and there. I've yeah, used still a couple of them: but...
0: Wunderkin, Fußball. I, well, foosball, no, no. I mean, you know, you <laughs> threw thrown a couple in, uh, but nothing else like those two primarily.
1: No. Like my my dad, my my dad spoke speaks French, German, English. At least three. He went to high school in Haiti too, so he's. You know, Goodness gracious! Yeah. You need to get your dad on here (laughs) talk to him about
0: all sorts of stuff. I knew about the modeling. I didn't know about the acting. Okay. So walk me through that. Like, what what were you doing?
1: So uh, rewind to college. We are in a dorm freshman year, and uh, Tony Braxton's – I forget which which, uh, music video it was, but there's this model dude, this dark-skinned, bald, black guy in a a music video – people are like oh that's you that's you i was like oh okay whatever um and i kept hearing it over the years so this summer between junior year and senior year it's tyson beckford by the way we do not look alike but it's the now he's he's got that asian influence in his eyes right. and his S- lips are different right
0: similar but not the same not
1: at all but i disagree but, but back similar, in, but, but back in 97 i mean we had back in 97 i joke about this it was tyrese tyson and tay yeah, all three of them—dark skinned brothers, bald head—and they all kind of got lumped together. And I was the closest approximation of that at my school, so I guess that's anyway. Yeah,
0: but Tay's like 5'4". 4
1: four. <laughs> you're a lot taller. People than don't know now. that on TV when, you, when you're in college. You're, you're not even paying attention. That's true to that extent. So. Well,
0: you know, you know the moment when you know it all flipped over. You know, light skin brothers went out, right? New Jack City. <laughs> When, Chris, when Christopher Williams gets stabbed in the hand, that's that's it. That's the moment where the whole paradigm flip. So we, I we're guess still it, I, not back yet.
1: I, uh, I think it flipped back with Steph versus LeBron. Uh, you know what? Good point. That's a good point. <laughs> we got back in with Steph. I still haven't seen LeBron's mama during an NBA Finals broadcast. Yeah, but you see Sonya every all time the time. Out. Right? I'm not mad. I'm <laughs> <laughs> not mad at you. Um, so summer between. Uh, Junior year of college and and senior year of college, I went to a model search uh, in Washington, D.C., drove down. only person interested in me was his talent coach. Got his information. He calls me when I got back to school, and uh, he asked me to come up to New York. New York was about two and a half hours from school. Drove up one day. Which school? Rowan University. It's in southern New Jersey, formerly Glassboro State. Good communications program. Good D3 football program. Anyway, um, he has me read this little copy little copy. He's like, you did a really good job. I want to start sending you out for commercial auditions. I was like, all right, I have no clue what he's talking about. But during senior year, every, every I don't know, once a month or so, I drive up to New York for for an audition here and there. So fast forward to the end of senior year. Yeah, I'm working at Friendly's, and my buddy, my best friend at the time, Matt and I go up to Nickelodeon for an audition, to audition for this game show. We both auditioned for this game show. Um, and then I made, I don't know, the finals, I guess you could say, for lack of a better term. I, th- I think I went back for a callback. I went back for a callback the week after. This is like right in Times Square. You know, You know. remember TRL? Yeah. It's like right above it. I was just going to
0: say, like the MTV studios yep. are right there. Fifteen,
1: fifteen. 15 I think. It was right above that. Anyway, um, I'm working at Friendly's. It's like a... Tuesday night in late April, and I'm talking to my, to my agent. They want to know, between you and another person, they want to know your shoe size. And he calls me back. They want to know your, your such and such size, okay? And they want to know your address in case they have to pick you up. And then at like, I don't know, 8.30, 9 o'clock, he tells me that I booked this gig to be the host of a Nickelodeon pilot game show called Slime Survivor. So the next day, they pick me up in a limo at college. They fly me to Orlando. They give me a convertible car, put me up at a hotel across from SeaWorld, and we shoot two episodes of this game show called Slime Survivor, and I'm the host. Now, again, this is 2000, so this is around the time of uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? So it's themed after that, if you will, with slime, of course. Um, Sign a contract, six figures. I'm 22 years old. Um, Graduate college two weeks later, so a lot of stuff going on. Um, It's all happening. Well, (laughs) Or so we thought. So uh, that entire summer, because I had three weeks to test it and, and get it to air, um, I'm working at Hula Hands, uh, going up to auditions every day, every chance I get, and then you wait tables at night. And in November of that year, they did not pick it up. So I saw like $3,000 for the pilot that I shot, but the six figures went away, and that whole two- opportunity went away. Um and then uh, 2001 kept doing it, and it just got to a point where I was like, "Man, enough of this." <sighs> Stopped going up to, to New York for auditions. Got a job working at J Crew. A new J Crew opened up in Marlton, New Jersey. I had tons of retail experience from high school and college. So at this point, I'm thinking maybe I can get a managerial job at, at J Crew, get a real get a real job with benefits and stuff. Didn't really work out. I was just a sales associate. I Like that's not going to work out. So then I went. And I worked at French Connection. Remember French Connection? Yeah. All right. So I'd worked at French Connection in the past when I was in college. Got a job as an assistant manager at a French Connection on South Street in Philadelphia. Um, I think I was making like $32,000. But I had had health insurance or whatever. It was a decent job, but not really career tracked. Um, After that, I got a job working at uh, a mortgage company called Sendant Mortgage. I was a loan consultant, and I would sit at my desk, and people from certain areas in the country would call in, inquiring about a mortgage, and it was my job to get them to plunk down. I think it was like a buck twenty-five to lock in a mortgage rate for ninety days, whatever the case may be. It was a total—I don't want to say it was a racket—but the most successful people there just got people to sign up for it, whether they actually went ahead and actually ever got a house or not, regardless of the credit score or anything else. Just get them to. To, to sign up, and that's how you really make the money. I was motivated by it. I worked at night. It was, it was a scam. I wasn't passionate about it. While I was working there, um, somebody who had seen me, some video, video game that I'd been a quote-unquote actor, and like a, a bit part, somebody who had seen that contacted me. His name is Brian Leader. He was a talent manager. Difference between a manager and an agent, the agent that I was originally with, will send me out for whatever comes across his desk the talent manager deals with multiple agents so i met with brian and in working with brian i started booking more uh, modeling jobs and i started taking acting classes and it was a it was a it wasn't as random as it was with the first guy where he would just call me for an audition i would go this time is like I have real pictures. I'm going to, to real model go see's they're called. And those things, man. You go, <laughs> you drive an hour and a half in New York, look for a parking park your car, go to this go see, you wait in the waiting room, you walk in and you walk out a lot of times. That's it. They just check you out. They know they know immediately what they're looking for. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> The auditions, you read it. They might ask you to read it a different way or something, and that's that. But anyway, um, I started taking acting classes, started putting more of an emphasis and real focus on it. And I'll never forget the day. It was Wednesday, June eighteenth, two thousand three. I go to acting class, Upper West Side, Manhattan. <clears throat> Excuse me. Park my car, put some point some coins in the meter. Come out after class, like nine o'clock. My car's not there. Like, what? Walk around the block, walk up the block, walk back the block. I'm like, I could have sworn I parked my car here. Anyway, start walking again. Look up at a sign. It says call this number to, to see if your car has been impounded or whatever. I call the number. Lawrence, from the time I started auditioning in nineteen ninety nine till this night in two thousand and three, I'd accrued thirteen hundred dollars in in fines and penalties. From tickets from parking your car? Yes, sir. They towed my car to Coney Island. Oh, my God. I'm Upper West Side. Coney Island is, like, as far as you can go before getting to Long Island. It's Wednesday night. I got jeans, flip-flops, T-shirts, backpack, and, like, $8 in cash on me. So I'm like, what am I going to do? What is I going to do? Um, my now wife said she would wire me about $900. Uh, my talent manager said he had a check for me for, like, $800. But it's 9 o'clock at night. I can't do anything with either of those things. And I right. thought it's, I'm, I was going to initially go to the Port Authority, go find a Western Union, and just spend the night there. And I was like, I'm not sitting around at Port Authority with $1,600 in cash. So I called all my friends in New York City I could think of. And nobody was in town except for one guy. He was a model. He was at a Versace model party. So I walked from the Upper West Side, 78th and Columbus, up to 95th and West End. Got the check from my from my manager. Walked to Port Authority, which is like the 40s. And then I walked down to like NYU, which is like the teens on the East Side, in these flip flops. My phone's dying, of course, because it has no charge. Um, he finally showed up at like two a.m. I crash on his couch. Next day, it's raining. I try to cash the check. They won't let me cash the check because I don't have an account there. I didn't get I didn't get my car until like two o'clock that that afternoon. I didn't get home until like five, and I'm like, "What do I want to do? Is like, is this what I want to do with my life?" Like, I I owe my acting teacher, I owe my future wife. She wasn't at the time, but I owe my girlfriend. I'm like, do I really want it this badly? Do I really want it and yearn to pursue it this badly? And I was like, no. So I looked up, I don't know if it's Forbes magazine, Best Places in America to Work, and the Men's Warehouse was on there. And again, I had the fashion background. So I applied there, got a job working at the Men's Warehouse, had, again, health insurance, yada, yada, yada. So that was 2003, 2004. While working at the men's warehouse in 2004, my buddy, my buddy Matt, who'd gone to the audition with me at Nickelodeon back in 2000, he was uh, he lived in New York, but he used to bartend in Philly because he's from Philly and his dad was there, South Jersey. And uh, he's like, "Dude, I saw this. I saw this commercial on the TV the other night for some, I don't know, some contest or something. You should check it out at NBC 10." Like, all right, I go online, check it out, WCAU. Yeah. NBC 10 in Philadelphia, same as MAQ 5 here, or NBC 4 in New York, having a contest called The Best Summer Gig Ever. And you would audition, and if you won the contest, you would do on-air traffic during the summer. They have the contest the prior year, and that guy was the full-time traffic anchor. So it was like a Thursday. My now-girlfriend and I had broken up, and I, I drive into Philly, pop in, read the script, and leave. That night, I'm at work. Men's Warehouse, and I get a call that I made the top ten. And so the basic, basically, the contest is we have these ten people, and in the mornings and in the afternoons you do on-air traffic, one hit along with the real guy, in each show, and then at the end of the week people vote for you. So some some of my coworkers at MB, at a, a Men's Warehouse painted my car. Please vote for me. Blah 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 blah. So I made it to the top five, and then the following Monday night I actually ended up winning the contest. So my I got back into TV doing traffic, if you will. Not back into it, but actually my first real foot in the door was was via this traffic contest. So I did traffic that summer on the weekends, Saturdays and Sundays, and then I was still working at the men's warehouse. After the, the, the three-month period of whatever was up, the head of talent and development for NBC's owned and operated stations, Olivia Metzger, she's not a big a big-shot agent, but – she invited me to up to New York to just to have a chat with her. I go up there, and she's like, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to do sports. She says, well, I think I could make you a star in news, but I'd rather you pursue sports than come back to me five years from now and tell me how unhappy you are. So she put me in touch with some agents, and she got me a con um, a, uh, an internship at the station at, WNB, at CAU. So on s- Monday mornings and Tuesday mornings at 4 a.m., I would pull scripts and run the prompter for the, the early show. And then from 7 to 11, I would sit at the assignment desk. And every – that's while well, I was still working at the men's warehouse. But every chance I got, I would go out with the main sports guys. Vaisicahema, who's a former NFL player, was the main sports anchor. John Clark, who became the main sports anchor, is now at CSN Philadelphia.
0: You're the second person on the, in the history of House of L podcast <laughs> – that's talked about interning for Visekema. That's funny. Do you Ooh. know who the other person is? I'll give you a hint. This person, you worked with this person.
1: I'm going to say Layla, but no, you? Cheryl Scott. Did she really? Mm-hmm. Funny story about Cheryl Scott. I got here in May of 2014 and I meet her, and we're talking or whatever. How did you guys not cross over? Bro, I graduated high school with her brother. That's what I was going to say.
0: Like, the Jersey, like, Philadelphia thing. <laughs> and she, she talked about, she's like, I, I thought I was going to go into sports because she was an athlete yeah. at Brown. Right. And, and I had no idea. First as long Paul, as I Paul had the her, yeah, yeah. She she's like, the oh, yeah, star, I, in- yeah.
1: I, in- I interned for Vaisicahima. I was like,
0: what? I was like, how did you not, That's how did we favorite. not
1: talk about that? Small world. That's crazy. I graduated high school with her brother, same class, never knew knew she existed because we went to Camden Catholic. She went to our arch rival, Paul VI. Ah. Right, so I never knew she existed. So so you're interning now. You're out with the sports guys. You're Every chance I got. Like I, I have a, a faux stand-up with T.O. With doing a book signing. I have a faux stand-up at Lincoln Financial Field after the Eagles beat the, the Carolina Panthers. So every chance I got, I would just immerse myself in it. Um, I did a faux sports cast, so I had a really professional-looking resume tape. I went back up to New York and met with Olivia. She was really surprised by the tape. She's like, "When I met you, you were just, you know, kind of quiet and unassuming. I wasn't expecting this, but this is great." Then she, I'm sorry, that's when she put me in touch with some agents, and uh, one of those agents started getting me real paying jobs just to build the resume tape more. So I did some stuff at CSTV with uh, Michelle Beadle, Greg Amsiger, Adam Zucker. Every, whenever I see these people, I'm like. We were like all little kids together working together at a a college sports television. Um, Adam Zucker is now the the main college guy on CBS Sports on the weekends, on Saturdays. Greg Amsinger is the main guy at MLB. And Michelle Beadle, I'm not sure what she's up to, but she was a big-time hotshot at ESPN. Um, For a long time. Yeah, she was. So I had a really professional-looking tape. And uh, in summer 2005, my agent to this day, Seth, uh, started sending me out for jobs. So my first job interview was in Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah, so, how'd that go for you? It was. It was. I think. I think it was good for me to go to go through that process. I love Birmingham. It was, it was, it was eye opening. But again, at this point, my now wife and I are not together. I'm thinking I'm going to move to Birmingham. Like it's. I mean, I've only been around big cities my entire life, so it was. It was eye opening. Um, I would have done a lot of high school sports. The funny thing is, the number two sports guy there at the time, who was talking with me during the day, his name is Rob Carlin. He's now at. Comcast, Sportsnet, D.C., which is funny, small world. But um, I didn't get that job because I was too green, which makes perfect sense. Never had a job before, a real TV job before. Second job interview was at something called Ohio News Network in Columbus, Ohio. Would have done, done a lot of Ohio State sports stuff. And who worked there? O-N-N? Who worked there that you know? The, the now-defunct
0: O-N-N? That you work with. And this person was also on House of El- Somebody I work with worked, worked at O N N. Not Not at five, but someone that you see out in the field every so often. Dion Miller. G-
1: oh, hi. Okay. That's, man. <laughs> it's that's crazy, right? This our industry world is so, is so small. small. It's crazy. People have no idea. That's why you don't burn bridges, people. Don't burn bridges. Um, and then my final interview, so those were both summer 2005. And then my final interview was for this fledgling sports network in New York that didn't exist yet that would broadcast the Mets games. That interview was like early October 2005. And I was like, okay, whatever. Just went up, went up, met with this dude, Kurt Gowdy Jr. Big sounding name. Don't know what you do, but all right, cool. And uh, at this point, I'm working at Yugo Boss now. I've graduated from Men's Warehouse to Yugo Boss. I was an assistant manager there. And I'll never forget the call from my agent. I probably still have it somewhere. He's like, Siafa, you have to call me. This is, the biggest, this is the biggest opportunity of your life. So long story short, they hired me to be the main on-field reporter for the Mets network, which is SNY, Sportsnet New York. So uh, we signed the contract in November of 2005. My girlfriend and I were back together. Um, we drove up in December, started looking for places to live in in northern New Jersey. Got a place in Jersey City in January. Um, they announced us. It was, uh, uh, Gary Cohen, main play-by-play guy, Ron Darling, and, um, Keith Hernandez. And then me, (laughs) which is very, very funny for me to say. Um, the night before I left for, for spring training, the first time I... Proposed to my now wife, she said yes. Luckily, went down for a week. We worked on a show called um, Mets Weekly. It was like a it was like a magazine show. Sure. no frill stuff, just fun, silly stuff. You know Julie Donson by any chance? Yeah. All right, Julie Donson was my co-host, or I was her co-host. I don't know. Get out of here. Yeah. So then I came back for a week, and then I got I, I went down there for real spring training, and I'll never forget, bro. Like that first day down there my news director who I'd even met yet asked me to do a package. I had no clue what she was talking about, Lawrence. No idea. I had never interviewed anybody before. And I'm I'm in a clubhouse with Tom Glavin, Julio Franco, Carlos Delgado, David Wright, Jose Reyes, Willie Randolph as the manager. I mean, I to say I'm out of my depth is not is, is the Greatest understatement of all time. And and retelling this story makes me so uncomfortable because of how little I knew and how unprepared I was for the job. And I just – I didn't know. Like you don't – you. one of the things I've learned throughout my life is you don't know what you don't know. And I didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know, and I didn't know anything. Um, so so walk, walk me through
0: that. Like you get the word from your boss. Your boss wants package done. And if you're uninitiated— you're- I didn't even have a producer with me. So what did you
1: do? I didn't I didn't do a package that day. It wasn't. I, I don't know if the expectation was no longer there because I, knew I didn't have a producer or what, but there was no package. Um, did
0: you start to ask around
1: and say, hey, they asked me to do a package. What's a package? All, all, so there's a guy, Greg Picker. He used to work in that. He was the main producer in the truck, Bill Webb was a I mean just a legendary director for MLB Game of the Week but he also worked on the Mets broadcast early on anyway and um, it's not something I felt comfortable asking them so it was just a really truly lonely feeling I mean imagine imagine you get sent somewhere by yourself to cover some sport that you I mean you know the basics of the sport but you've never interviewed anybody you've never done a live broadcast before no matter what you've seen it's not the same as doing it true um so i i mean i just remember going to games and i'm sitting in the dugout and they would throw to me these are fake these are real exhibition games but fake broadcasts we're just you know practicing and they throw it down to me and i'd ask the most rudimentary questions i mean it was just embarrassing and uncomfortable to even talk about and and these are the, the messages I get the emails I'd get from my boss every day from from Kurt Gowdy Jr. Kurt Gowdy by the way his his father was a legendary Red Sox and uh, uh, national sportscaster. yes had the show and big the, time yeah every week on ABC yeah world, wide world of sports that that guy owned radio stations I believe legendary Hall of Famer but this was his son was my boss he would send me texts or he would send me emails like good job today need to get better like that's it. No context, nothing, just good job today, need to be better or not you need to get better at this and here's how not, not even a conversation. No, no. Use better words. Blah, 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 blah. Blah 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 blah. The one day I heard what what did Greg Picker say? I don't know if he said it to my face or He said, I don't I don't have a good enough grasp of the English language. Oh. Which is fun to hear. Um so it was just it was a very, very tough experience. And it all came to a head. It was a Saturday. The Mets were playing um, in Orlando or close to Orlando. They're playing the Braves. I drive down there two hours each way. Drive back, drive down there. After every game, all the beat writers would go would would surround Willie Randolph because my camera guy was third base. He'd have to break that camera down, get a different camera come over, and they're all standing there, always looking at me, waiting, and I'm like. Like what do you, I mean, it's such a horrible feeling. What do you want me to do? Like I, I can't make him get here any faster. It's not his fault. And you guys got first question, right? Right. Right. So there everybody's just hates the new guy, doesn't know anything. Who we're all waiting for. So the guy finally comes over. I start asking Willie Randolph questions. One, two, three. Nothing. Brain fart. I mean, there's just nothing up there. I'm like, where am I going with this? I have no clue. So I'm just frustrated, and I um, I I I look away, and I'm like Jesus Christ. And he's like, "Come on, you got it, you got it, you got it. This is really So when I, I finally something finally popped back, popped into my brain, finished the interview. I'm really mad at myself. I'm driving home. My boss calls. Hey, Siafa, Uh, I need, I need you to be honest with me. What what happened out there? I'm like, Kurt. I'm really sorry. You know, I I was asking Willie questions, and I just. I had no thought in my in my in my head, and I'm I'm sorry I froze. It's like, but did you did you say anything? I'm like, no. He's like, okay, I'll call you back. Call my agent. He's like, what what happened? I was like, I don't know. I just had a brain fart. Okay. <laughs> this wasn't even a live broadcast. It was live to tape, but when they took the video, they never they never checked it. They just sent it as as is back to New York. And when I moved away and said Jesus Christ, it picked it up on the mic, and it was broadcast, and people were livid that I took the Lord's name in vain. So Kurt calls me and tells me that he wants me to watch the game from the truck for the next couple of days. He's going to send Chris Cotter. Chris Cotter works at a ESPN College Game Day. Good guy. He's going to send Chris Cotter down to Florida. To do a couple broadcasts, I'm gonna watch the game from the truck to view it from a different perspective. All right. I'm watching the game from the truck. I'm in like in the back row, and the Mets are playing the Dodgers, and Chris Cotter is interviewing Tommy Lasorda. And I hear somebody in the front row who doesn't know I'm back there say something like, Can you imagine Ciafa doing this interview? Oh my like, God. I'm sitting back there, like just, you know, just shriveling inside. Um, And then later that week, Kurt called me and told me he was going to make a switch. He was going to keep Chris on the Mets. He was going to have me come back up to New York to be a general assignment reporter. And that Saturday, my first Saturday at the studio, when I met my news director, she asked me to do kind of a summary of Mets uh, training camp so far. Bro, I wrote... <laughs> if if they actually if they actually put this thing into script format, this would have been like a 10-minute-long piece. <laughs> so that is literally how I learned to do packages. No, 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 no. That's not how you do it. You have a couple of tracks, and then you have sound, and you have a couple of tracks and you sound. Connected. The- right. You, it's a story. Um, that first month, that was a Saturday. The first Monday I was at uh, New Jersey Nets practice? Or New York Knicks. That was Nets. Vince Carter... Richard Jefferson, Jason Kidd, uh, Lawrence Frank was the head coach. But that's literally how I learned to do this job, on the job, in day one. by day, step by step. I covered every single team in New York. I covered boxing matches. I interviewed Floyd Mayweather. It was a very tough and humbling but very necessary experience for me. So
0: this happens. You have the moment in the truck where they're talking about you. They don't know that you're even oh, there. Man. Or maybe they don't even care. Who knows? That that you're there, you you get pulled back to the station. You're kind of starting over in a in a rudimentary way to to learn the craft. What's going through your head when this is happening?
1: I I honestly looking back, I think there was a, a sense of relief because I knew that the Mets job was way too big for me having having done it even for three weeks. So it was kind of a relief that I can do this thing at a at a at a, at a much different pace where I can actually, I have some control over I have more control over the pieces that I do on tape and massage, if you will, than this live thing that's a behemoth. And I have guys who are truly, truly veterans in the game having done this, and I'm the guy trying to learn on the job. I, don't, I, don't, I think being a GA, you can learn on the job much easier than being the in-the-field the, the, in guy of a major broadcast like that, especially in New York
0: so when's the point where you feel like you do know what you're doing that things slow down you've got
1: a sense of i can okay I got this i I know what I'm doing I'm right. comfortable now so end of twenty of twenty sixteen end of two thousand six I started covering giants games. I wasn't the main giant guy, but I started covering more and more giants games and I started feeling much more comfortable at that point because it's like the same thing every day. You go to Giants practice, you go to Giants practice, you go to the games, you know what I mean? Um, in 2007, I covered the Giants from the first day of training camp up in Albany, New York until the last game of the season when they lost to the Patriots 38-35. Patriots went 16-0. Um, without that game, the Giants don't win the Super Bowl, but they knew that they could hang with the Giants because of that game, but I covered... I, I, I there's one, they played in London. I think they played Tampa in London. I didn't go to that game either. But I, every single thing that went on that season, I felt so comfortable. I had, I had the guys, <clears throat> excuse me, I had my guys I'd go to in the locker room. I knew them. They knew me. They trusted me. Um, I started, I felt comfortable at that point. Of course, my contract expired on December 31st, so I didn't get to cover any of the playoffs, let alone the Super Bowl. Oh, man. I did get to cover the second Super Bowl when the Giants beat the Pats. I was at NBC at that point. So, it's weird how it all worked out, but yeah, that was that was a bummer of an experience not to be able to do the playoffs.
0: So, what happens next? Like, what do you do you have a plan of this is what I want to do, this is where I want to be or are you kind of drifting along, okay, kind of so, letting the world figure
1: out what to do with you? Yeah, it was a, it was a 2-year contract and I was just honestly focused on what I was doing. I covered tons of Yankees games at the old Yankee Stadium, covered the Giants, um, and like I said, a bunch of other stuff that happened in New York. And we knew the contract was coming up. I wasn't as... not not cognizant of it. Obviously, you're cognizant of whether or not you're going to have a job or not, but I think in 2019... I would view the the whole scenario totally differently than I did back in 2007. Um, and I guess I had this blind confidence that it would work out. But we were pregnant with our first child at the time. So all of a sudden going from it'll work out, it'll work out, it'll work out, to you don't have a job and now you're a month or two in and your wife is pregnant. I mean, it was rough. I mean, there are days you wake up like, what, like, why, why did I do this? What, what is what is going on? Why did I do this? Then we had a scare with the uh, the quad screening, which is a test they do to determine based on the space between the the fingers and the toes if the kid could have Down syndrome, and we had a false positive test. And oh, that day, when when your wife wakes you up to tell you that, <laughs> I mean it floors you. Um, and we had to have the whole conversation about the fact that no matter what happens we wouldn't it wouldn't change how we felt about this child so it doesn't even matter what the end result is and there's no way to be 100% positive they could do i think it's the amniocentesis the synthesis where they put the needle in the belly but that increases the chance of a miscarriage and i'm like why even bother with that we're going to have this kid we're going to love this kid it doesn't really matter so anyway um, in march of that year i start filling it filling in at MLB.com. They had an app back then, and there were a bunch of us, and we would do post-game raps. Um, so that was like three days a week, which not a full-time job, but it gets me out of the house. It gets me working on my craft again. You know Mike Yam at Pac-10, Pac-12 Network? No, I don't know Mike. Right, Mike's a good guy. He he did it. Who else? Um, I think Casey Stern was with us. Uh, no, Casey Stern was, was MLB.com. I know he was in the building. He may have been above us, but... Um, there's somebody else I'm, I'm missing, but some – oh, um, she got the job at FAN after Francesa left the first time. Oh. Um, she was at SI. Maggie Gray. Yes, Maggie was one of them too. All right. So anyway, um, did that for about a month or so, and while I was working there, my agent slash Olivia got in touch with this guy, Morgan Herzan, who had started this production company um, – slash channel called LXTV, and it was lifestyle television in New York. They would go to restaurants and and cool retail uh, locations and hotels and just tell different funky, cool stories, and they had them playing in the taxi cabs in New York City. NBC bought that property from Morgan for $10 million. So now it's under the NBC umbrella. That's the show that comes on after Sports Sunday, right? Exactly. Well, open that's open house. Open house. Sarah Sarah's like a sister to me. Went to her wedding. I love Sarah. Um, that's open house. The show after that, I think, is first look. Okay. LX TV First Look. Yeah. All right. So that's same same umbrella, same group. He wanted me to host this wedding show. I didn't first of all, MLB.com and LX were in the same building in Chelsea Market, which is a really, really cool spot. It's a beautiful place. I've I've been there to do some stuff with MLB. It's that whole area is Amazing. It's spectacular. Yeah, it is. So such a better vibe than Midtown Manhattan. But anyway, um, so I went from working at MLB to working at LX. It was five days a week for, I think, eight to ten weeks or so. Um, and I I didn't really front the wedding show. I appeared in the wedding show, which was kind of weird to me, but whatever. Uh, fast forward the towards the end of that summer. Morgan tells me that he has to let me go because the budget is dried up. And he kept me on for two weeks later than he was supposed to anyway. But we're like the week of the baby now. So my last day at work was a Friday. We were induced with the baby on Saturday. Bro, that week before, I'm like applying at Mercedes-Benz dealerships because I have no clue what I'm going to do. And, and what people may not understand is, you have agents who work for you, but they can't create jobs. Sure, they Correct. it's their job to get you in touch with people who are hiring, but it doesn't work as beautifully as you'd like where you're the need for something and somebody else also has the need and works perfectly. It's very, very rare. So baby's born on Saturday. She's healthy. Everything's great. And then I think Monday or Tuesday of that week, NBC called me back and told me they were creating a new position for me. So now I'm working there for a full year. And I'm working on all their properties. I'm working on open house which is the show you're talking about i'm working on first look which is the the true magazine show that started it all and there's something else that i also worked on um and they have this thing at that point it's called yo Yo is the name of a company that allows you to work as a freelancer for up to a year before they have to make a decision if they're going to hire you full-time or not so i'm working um for a year full-time good money um and Morgan comes up with, Morgan, again, is the, the boss, comes up with this idea to expand First Look to a, an hour, but to make it live. And they are going to replace the 5 o'clock news in New York City at one of the flagship stations. So Chuck, and Sco, Chuck Scarborough and Sue Simmons, who are legendary broadcasters, they both made an excess of seven, seven figures annually. I mean, legendary they're getting rid of this newscast for this lifestyle show that's very, very glitzy and fluffy and, yeah, in New York City. So they have this big search for the host and ends up Sarah Gore and Lewis are the two main hosts. So that was a very, very big deal. And uh, I signed a three-year contract, one year and out after each year. Really, really good money. And the show is just... I mean, Morgan knew how to create something, but he's not a live daily show producer. It's a different thing. It's a whole. It's a beast. It's a totally different animal, and I think they learned that the hard way. So, um, first six, seven, eight weeks, it's Sarah and myself, the the two main co or the two main hosts, and then we have some other hosts who do other things. And the show got better as it as it progressed. But there's a World Series going on. And the Yankees are in the World Series against the Phillies. They're like, hey, Siafa, you have sports experience. Why don't you do some some sports pieces? So what they meant by that was go get MOS sound, man on the street, MOS sound. So you're begging people to talk to you. But it's not really sports-centric, Lawrence. It's... Is uh, what's her name? What's Alex Rodriguez's ex girlfriend? Cameron Diaz. Cameron Diaz is Cameron Diaz the reason Alex Rodriguez is playing so well in the World Series. Like, that's my job for the day. Like, that's I go into work and that's my job for the day. Wow, or who as I mean, as a Mets fan would you rather the Yankees win or the Phillies win? Right, because the Mets obviously are in the Phillies division and the Yankees are their, their intra town rival. So, I mean, I'm, I'm like, insulted, but this is what, what I'm doing. I'm doing live shots outside of Yankee Stadium with all these people I know from Philly, New York, in, in sports media. And they all go in the game. I don't have credentials, so I'm getting back in the subway and going back up uh, uptown, downtown. So the World Series finally ends, and they wanted me to cover the parade. I was like, yeah, I'm, I can't do the parade. Now, I am from Philly, obviously, so I mm-hmm. was also sore about that. And I'm like... I've done this for a week. I, I can't do the parade. So Sarah, who is a, a lifelong Yankees fan, did the parade. So I'm thinking, okay, that's done with. And then we're you know things are cool again, and they, they switch Sarah out with somebody else for a few days. They have Sarah on location somewhere. They have the main traffic anchor from uh, NBC4 filling in with me. And then the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree comes to town. They like, I oh, she's Why don't you do a package on that? Okay, did a package on that. And I'll never forget, it was a Friday, I'm on my way to work, and I get a, an email from Morgan. He doesn't really email me. No, it was a call. He never calls me. He sends me emails, sorry about that, uh, we'll discuss when you get in. Like, okay. I go in, and he tells me, <laughs> a roundabout way, that the ratings are much better with you in the field than in the studio, which is, I mean, it's not even a backhanded of compliment, it's just insulting. But at that point, they made a decision, to make me a correspondent instead of being one of the two main anchors. So here we are again. Well, no, no, no. My contract, I was still on a contract, still getting paid the same amount of money.
0: No, but I mean, like, you thought it was one thing, and then it ends up being another thing. How do you adjust? And and
1: here are the packages I'm doing, okay? Here are the packages I'm doing. Uh, There's a gingerbread house exhibit at the Parker Meridian. Oh, That's that's not just a package. Well, I'm sorry, that's a live shot. That's like a, a minute and a half live shot talking about gingerbread houses. Or you're going to Diker Heights, a part of Brooklyn where everybody decorates their houses there for Christmas. That's that's another live shot. Or uh, what was it? This was some... I feel like you're getting ready to say dog show <laughs> or something. I did not do a dog show. My buddy Ben did. Ginger Z's husband Ben Aaron did a dog show. Really? And he, and he killed it. No, but he that's that's like Ben's thing. You have to do Oh, that he's a dog him. show guy. Okay. No, no, he's not a dog show guy. Ben's just a super fun entertaining borderline comedian guy. Okay. Um, but was there's something with cheese fondue downtown. I don't know. I was miserable. I was miserable going to work every day. It got to the point where I think it was January that year, my agent said, "Yeah, Morgan says if if you want out after this cycle, you know, he's more than happy to let you go." I was miserable. And that, things kept changing. Then they had somebody uh, – they had a co-executive producer along with Morgan. And those two, it's like watching your mom and dad fight every day. She was she created the fourth hour of the Today Show, Amy Rosenblum. And uh, there was a period of time, I kid you not, for like three months where I would go to work and do nothing. Now, a, lot of people, a lot of people might think that's cool, but it's horrible. You just go to work. You feel useless. You feel like they don't appreciate you. You do nothing. Then there were a couple integrations that uh, NBC – did with Pepsi, and I actually got out of town. I got to fly down to Miami. Uh, it was Miami, Philadelphia, Hartford. So at least I got out and I got to do some things. So that was, that was cool for about a week. Then my son was born, our son was born, took paternity leave, came back, and I don't know how or why, but Amy came up with this idea to have me do a segment on food. I mean, it's New York City. There's food everywhere. So we did a segment on, um, I think, some magazine or some, some .com had an article on best X, Y, or Z, and we, we did that one day, and that just started this whole big new thing. So I became kind of the food guy, which was really, really neat, and I met some amazing chefs. Eric, Eric Repair is one of the best chefs on planet Earth. He cooked at Le Bernardin, which is a Michelin three-star uh, restaurant in, in New York City. He cooked for me. He signed a book for my wife. He ate with me amazing experience i did i did best steaks in new york City. i went to peter i went to peter luger i went to del frisco's i went to peter gallagher's amazing amazing stuff but i knew as i was doing this this is not going to help me on my career after this because i'm not going to go into food tv all right so now it's 2012 they tell us that they're going to get rid of the show altogether. i'm like wow. hey oh, cool whatever my contract is up when it's up. It, uh, August 31st, my contract is up. So we're, we've been looking anyway. I, at this point, I've auditioned to work um, on a morning news show for the CBS affiliate in Miami. Got pretty far along. Did not get it. Um, and Allie, do you know her, any chance? No. is right, really cool. But Rhianne and Allie and I uh, did, had an audition together. Went fantastically well. Big picture there was the two guys who ran the show felt as though they didn't feel comfortable having two people who did not have a hard news background being co-anchors. She did not either. She did not either, but she'd already, they already kind of decided on her, so I didn't get that. that, that job. Um, so 2012 is moving along. I go out to L.A. for a week to take meetings to talk to different people. While I'm there, I get a job opportunity at the – ABC affiliate in Philadelphia, which is a lot like channel WLS here. It looks the same, sounds the same. It's a powerhouse. It's Philadelphia. Yeah. So I go audition there. Day, I mean, audition took forever. The audition, the interviews, they took me out to lunch. Felt great about it. Um, when I left, he says, if you don't hear from me, get in touch with me. And I was like, that's weird. uh, uh, what how does that work because i want to work for you so i I, i'll call you tomorrow like what does that mean if you don't hear from me if i don't hear from you so that was a very awkward process where you know wait five days and you call you email and then you hear nothing back and that whole experience was very very weird eventually i called on a friday left a message he calls me back and say hey siafa this is x y and z Just want to let you know that we've decided to go in a different direction, but thank you so much, blah, blah. I'm like, you want to let me know? I called you. You didn't call me. You didn't call me out of the decency of your heart to let me know that you've moved on. I called you. You're like, oh, yeah, I should probably let him know that we moved on. Anyway, that was disappointing. Um, That was July of 2012. And then August 31st, my contract expired. We got nothing. Now I have two kids. Before, we were pregnant. Now I have two kids. And. September, you get through because you know you're spending time with your family and got some money in the bank. It's okay, whatever. October, we were trying to some funky fasting thing which lasted like two days because we were so angry at each other. Um You get through the holidays, but then after Christmas, by January,
0: man, hits you like a brick.
1: You got, There's nothing in the pipeline. There's one. There was one job interview or an opportunity audition in Northern New Jersey. News Twelve. They have a, a group of stations up there, and they were looking at me for a hybrid role where I would uh, do sports two days and news three days. I'm like, that's cool. I could I could really see myself doing that. Auditioned there, thought it went well. I have friends there that I'm in a fantasy baseball league with. Just nothing ever came of that opportunity. So it's January, man, and I'm I'm despondent. I'm depressed. I'm questioning why I ever got into TV. I should have gone into accounting or finance just something more stable than this um my wife went back to work full time my buddy who works in marketing and for ms for uh for microsoft in seattle's trying to help me get a job in seattle it was just a horrible time um i think it was february or march i started filling in here and there at a uh, i don't even know how to describe it newspapers Used to buy this for their websites. They would put, I forget, CineSports. It's called CineSports, and we would do interviews with newspaper writers and like post game wraps that would appear on certain newspapers' websites. It wasn't full. It wasn't on a regular basis at all. It was just something again to make some money and get out get out of the house. I uh, started pursuing getting into um, what is it, what is it, what is it, what is it? Not Northwestern Mutual. I can't think of the name of the company. But, like, to be a financial consultant, essentially. But what nobody tells you about that is you make, like, no money early on. Until, yeah, until beginning you, you get nothing. Until you build a network, and then you start making money. But I was like, I can't do that. I can't spend you, time You don't have time. To, don't- to, to, to get into that when I have a family to try to provide for. Um, And then... Think April, late April of that year, uh, had opportunities at ABC News to work on that overnight show. That I love Paula, that show that Paula did. Um, went up there, auditioned for that. The World News Now, right? Yeah, it, it would have been a hybrid role, I think. And while I was there, I was just so that was the day that there was a the big fire in West Texas, I believe, an explosion. And I just sat there. For, they asked me to write a story, and I just sat there for so long because there's breaking news. So nobody even asked me if I wanted to eat anything. It was just like, oh yeah. And then I did. I did a couple. I did a screen test, and on the way home from there, I called my agent and said, "Dude, I'm I'm done. I can't I can't sit around waiting anymore." And um, that Saturday, I was home with the kids, and I got an email from a company called Suit Supply. I love Suit Supply. This where is where I get my suits from. Is it legit stuff? So this is this is 2013 though. Before they were even in Chicago, they they hadn't spread out that many places yet. Um, back when I was at NBC, a lot of my friends who were in, on the production side would ask me uh, to help them look for a suit. So we used to go to a place called Century 21, like down by where the World Trade Centers were. They had amazing suits always on sale. After Suit Supply came into existence, I was like, let's just go to Suit Supply because you can get something that looks really sharp, contemporary without breaking the bank, because you're not going to wear the suit that many that often. So I'd known about Suit Supply because I've taken f- tons of friends there. So I'm reading this e- this email from Suit Supply. They, they just opened up in Philly. And uh, I don't know why. I scrolled all the way to the bottom. I clicked on careers. They're talking about all these different careers available at Suit Supply. And I'm like, huh, I should get back into clothing. But instead of applying at Suit Supply, I got in touch with a friend of a friend. So in 2009, when this live show first began, I needed somebody to dress me because it's it's on air every single day. And I I wrote all these different Italian suit makers, including one called Isaiah. I S A I A. It's actually their last name. His name is Gianluca Isaiah. He's third generation. Uh they make some of the most gorgeous, sexy, amazing clothing you'll ever see. You should follow their Instagram. <laughs> These these The suits start, if you went to Saks or Neiman Marcus right now, the suits start at like 4700 bucks. Oh. The ties are like, I think, 225 The shirts are like 500 bucks. $1,000 shoes, $1,000 sweaters. Like, high, 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 high end. Luxurious, beautiful, gorgeous, but stupidly high end. And um, I'd reached out to them in 2009. They said they don't really do any kind of barter agreements. But... They were very cool. They invited me up to the showroom, and at that point, I was like, you know what? I need to get them a segment on um, First Look. So we did a little segment with them, and they gave me two suits just out of the kindness of the heart. They gave me two suits and two shirts. Wow. And from that point forward, the U.S. president's assistant or not assistant, his secretary for lack of a better term, whenever they had sample sales, she would always call me. And it was right around the corner from 30 Iraq. So she'd call me, and I'd get like a $3,000 suit for 500 bucks got this gorgeous, buttery green leather with a uh, a beaver fur collar bomber for like 200 bucks. I mean, just amazing, stupid deals that they would hook me up with. It was just their sample sales and it was like a friends or it was a sample sale or a friends and family event. So anyway, I'm sitting there. I'm like, I should just call them and see if they have anything just because you might as well aim for the aim high, you know? Um, at one of those sample sales or friends and family events, I'd met this guy, Vivek Nagrani, who makes his own socks. He's made socks for Bill Clinton and George, George H.W. Bush, but just amazing luxury socks. And he and I hit it off. So this Saturday, I text him like, dude, what do you think about me getting in touch with Jim about p- potential career opportunities? And he's like, I think it's a really good idea. So I got in touch, I got in touch with Jim Shea. He's the president, the U.S. president of Isaiah. And he's like, "Wow, I'd never, I'd never thought about you in that kind of a role, but let, let me, let me talk to the guys when we'll be, we'll be back in touch with you." He's like, "Okay." That was a Monday, Thursday. I went in for an interview. I knew most of the guys there anyway, but met everybody, talked to everybody. The following Monday, he got in touch with me just to tell me, "Hey, just wanted want you to know that you know we're still talking about things didn't want you to think we weren't, we'd forgotten about you," which was so refreshing compared to TV where they're you like, "Better believe it." Either you got it or you don't. And then that Thursday they offered me a job. Now, I was making half of what I used to make in TV. I was commuting to New York City every day from Southern New Jersey, so two miles, hours. I was, yeah, two two hours with 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 traffic again through the tunnel. Um, I'm paying five hundred dollars a month just to get to work, and it's a job that once again I'm I, I'm not that qualified for. I had tons of retail experience, but I'd never been an account manager before handling. 15 different retail accounts and and their needs and what they're looking for nor have I sold clothing on a wholesale basis as opposed to me with an individual um I started late May 2013 and it was it was at at once this this is where I got the you don't know what you don't know from (laughs) because there's just so much I did not know because I had never experienced this thing before um I learned so much working for that company. But I don't think that in 2013, maybe even now, that they were in a position with how small their footprint is, especially in the U.S., to take on somebody that needed as much training as I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, long story short, I worked there for about eight months, and when I left there, I went to go work for one of the accounts that I handled, which is funny. There was a store legendary men's wear store called Boyd's in Philadelphia. It was one of my accounts. So I sold them the suits and the shirts and the ties in their store. You made
0: the connects there and then you were able to right. to go work for them. Right. Because it was a little bit of a smaller job.
1: It was a different job. And I thought I could, I thought I'd be better at working. I thought I'd be better going from a wholesale dealing with 15 different accounts and all the numbers and everything else involved. As far as the numbers, I had this. I had the, the computer that the guy prior to the guy prior to, to me had, and you put in numbers for sales for your stores, and it does math computations. It was all messed up. I mean the the the, the equations were messed up on the Excel spreadsheet, and to even try to begin to fix it way above my pay grade Mm -hmm. so just dealing with that whole thing was a nightmare and and jim the president he's he's a great numbers guy and he's really demanding so he has these meetings where he just starts throwing throwing questions at you and he expects an answer like this so the stress was heavy and thick how's how's Boyd's doing how's mitchell's doing how's this doing how's that doing how's how's bergdorf's account what what's their what was their ly versus their versus their whatever just insane stuff. Um, on top of that, I leave for work at about 7. I get home around 8 p.m. Don't see the wife and kids, really. And then twice a year, they have what's called market. No, market is when people come to you. Uh, this is trunk show season. You're working six days a week because on the days you're not in the office, you're flying to your accounts. So I'm like, what am I doing? I'm killing myself making half of what I used to make. I'm not learning what I need to learn. How am I ever going to get caught up? That's how I ended up at Boyd's. Boyd's, grateful for the opportunity. I've been working since I was 15 years old. Worst job i ever had in my life. So now you've gotten all the way to here, where you're working in
0: Philadelphia. Yes, 15 minutes from my house. You're at Boyd's. you had all this experience. You've had all this stuff that you've just been, like, kind of beaten down by the television industry. You're now being beaten down by the, the suit industry.
1: And now you have the worst job of your life? So, like I just said, I the, the Isaiah inventory at Boyd's was sold to Boyd's by Siafa. Okay? Siafa is working in sportswear on the first floor. That makes no sense. Exactly. You're standing on concrete for eight, nine hours a day. You have these de- departmental – department managers, for lack of a better term, who like – Watch you just—you guys are talking too much. Break it up. Break it up. You have to—you have to go upstairs and clock in when you walk in in the mornings, and they sit there and watch you. I'm like, what am I in fifth grade? Is are you kidding me with this stuff? They watch how long you go to, to lunch for. um They didn't. Oh, am I there? Yeah. No, you that for a second. Um, they didn't have scanners in the store, Lawrence. When somebody bought say 15 things from you, you would take them to—you would walk them to the register. And it was all handwritten. Everything was handwritten and calculated with a calendar, with a calculator. There's no, there's no gun to to to, to shoot a a tag, a hand tag. And that, this is 2014. We're talking about how, bro. They made it work. Trust me, they make that work. It's like a cash business. Oh, okay. All right, I got you. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Family, very small family business. A dude's grandfather started it. His father ran it, and now he was in charge with his brothers-in-law, who he didn't like that much. It was that place was a hot mess. Things are much better now, from what I hear and from what I've seen on Instagram. But at that point, it was a hot mess. While I was working there, um, I had a couple different opportunities. Uh, early in 2014, when I was still at Isaiah, I went and I met with uh, the folks at CNN slash Headline News, and they had a couple different opportunities. One was to work with Robin Mead, who was obviously an MAQ, uh, to be her main sports person. It was great going now. I went flew down to Atlanta, uh, auditioned. The audition's still online somewhere, which is really funny. But um, yeah, I'm glad that didn't didn't happen because that it didn't work out for that person, or the person after that, or the person after that. Um, and then they had this reality show concept they came up with. Um, Kind of like, you know, do you ever watch Love It or Listed* on HGTV? Yeah. That's my jam. I love that show. I love that show. All right. So this was a show called Vacation Hunters, I believe. They had two hosts, uh, Ramona Bruland and myself. We would, I believe, talk to a couple about their ideas of their dream vacations, and it was our job to book and set up the, the best vacation, and the winner would win. I don't know. That was kind of the concept, loosely. And uh, we f- flew out to LA for a week and and shot this pilot. And again, I'm I'm still kind of new at Boyd's, so to pull this off, I had to I had to lie and tell them that my grandfather was sick, which is a horrible feeling. But then through the grapevine, they're like, "Oh, were you in LA to to discuss a TV opportunity?" And I was like, "Nope," because I mean, I'm I still need a job, but I'm not going to say no to a new an opportunity that could change my life either. Um. Anyway, it was like, right. It was, so here's how it happened. I flew into Chicago on a Monday, auditioned at MAQ on a Tuesday, flew home, went back to work on Wednesday, and then that Saturday I was on a flight to L.A. So this new guy who's working in sportswear. Sportswear is like where all the, 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 the starters start. The newbie started in sportswear. He's, like, missing all this time from work. and like, what the heck is going on, you know? They're checking your time card. <laughs> <Shoot>. <laughs> so <laughs> now fast forward to April. I'm on the sales floor. I got a call from my agent telling me that MAQ is interested in me, but they want to do a trial, like a six-month trial. I was like, what? I was like, dude, there is no way on earth I'm leaving my family that I could even afford to pay for rent in two different places. I'm like, this is the dumbest idea I ever heard. I was so mad at him because MAQ seemed really interested. And when I was talking to, to my boss, one of his questions to me was, Well, I'm looking at your resume and it seems like you start somewhere and then you leave. So what what's the deal? I was like, honestly, if you could tell me, I would love to know the answer to that. So I thought his his I thought the big hang up with MAQ was why hasn't he, you know, hung on anywhere? Then all of a sudden, I felt as though the concern switched to how serious is he about sports? And I was like, what? Like, that's one of the first things I explained to him. I was like, I'm a sports fan. I worked in sports. I lost my job. Somebody offered me six figures to work in a different industry. I had a family and I now's to feed. It. What am I going to say? No. Nope. So that was the second hurdle. And then um, after they made this offer, I talked to my wife and I talked to my mom. And I talked to my agent and they both, all three of them said, this is an amazing opportunity. Six months is not that long. You can figure it out. You can make it work. Just don't say no to an opportunity. So I think it was May 19th, 2014. I packed up my Honda Accord Sport, left my wife and kids early that morning, drove to Chicago. Got Man, hit. Ryan
0: Pace would have loved you.
1: <laughs> That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> That's a whole other conversation. Uh got here at like 1030 that night, uh, rented a studio apartment in Lakeview, uh, saw my wife and kids once a month. Um, that was May, June, July, August, September, October, I got a contract offer, signed a contract, and then December, my wife and family moved out here, and that was five years ago. <laughs> and you're happy, am I? Oh, well, I mean, you I'm joking. Happy? I'm messing with you, man. I'm messing with you. Don't tell it's me just, that you're no, not no, it's happy.
0: Just,
1: I pause there for a second because uh, verbalizing it and, and understanding what it took to get to a certain point, it kind of like hits you like, wow. Been through a lot, you know? And you keep moving. So at the same time, this is going on. Yes, and I'm glad you brought this up because I was going to bring it up. So this is...
0: For those of you who don't know, I was working as the weekend sports anchor after Paula left. Uh they were like, Can you do this? I was like, Yeah, like this would be great. Had you had any TV experience prior to that? It's I started doing sports Sunday in 2011
1: Okay. Wow with
0: them. So all right, so let me let me back up a little yeah, bit yeah. farther than that. I I ended up doing a segment on Sunday mornings. They had a Sunday morning newscast like Bears game day type stuff with Zoraida. And basically, I would teach Zoraida football. Got it. That was the whole idea. Like, sure. let's bring in the guy that covers the Bears for the radio station, have him teach Zoraida football. It might be Whose fun. Whose idea was this? Who got in touch with you? Do you There's a producer named Jen Vandersanden Sanden okay. at the time. Okay. She's I don't, even, I don't even know if she's in the industry anymore. Um, But it was fun. Like, yeah. we had a good time. It would be like me, Zarida, and Natalie Martinez. Okay, like we and we talk football and it was good and we would do predictions and I'd help you know try to tell them which way they should go on a prediction <laughs> or whatever. And then they said to me, "Can you read a teleprompter?" I'm like, yeah, I can read it because the answer is always yes, right? And You'll so figure then, it out. Yeah, I'll figure it out. Yeah. And then they Jeff Glick like brought me into Sports Sunday and I was doing Sports Sunday. And then it were you co hosting? Were you a guest? I started as a guest and then they were like, You can probably do this, right? And I was okay. like, Yeah. And with everyone being kind of scattered about, yeah. And I had good chemistry with Adam Lee, like, and we had a good time doing it. And so they said, Why don't you anchor during the weekend? I was like, All right. <laughs> so now I'm working seven days a week. Oh man. I'm doing, I'm covering the bears. I'm doing my talk show, and then I'm over there on Saturdays and Sundays. you cover the Bears for, for the station? For the score. Okay. So I I did that up until about 2011, but then I was doing the talk show every night, and then I was occasionally, like, they'd send me out on a story. Like, Channel 5 would send me out to go cover Hawks practice or whatever, wherever there was a hole. Right. They're like, well, Lawrence could go do it. So I would go do it. And I'm sitting there going, is my next move – full-time
1: television so this began in 2011 mm-hmm. so for like three years you're part-time over there yeah three wow. years I was
0: doing I was doing sports Sunday I was anchoring and occasionally during the week if it fit my schedule and usually stuff like Bull's practice or Hawks practice fit fine because the radio show was at six o'clock at night right so I could go do that I could flip a package then be on the radio and get on with my life. So I'm sitting there going, because I knew that they were looking for someone. And I'm like, I'm I'm right here. Right. Like I'm I'm homegrown by you guys. Like, and so I'm sitting, and I had gotten this was about the time while you were starting the six months. I got an offer from 120. And they said, Well, we Mm -hmm. want you to come do a show every morning. And I'm sitting there going, I don't know, like, I really love Channel 5. Like, I love I love Adam Lee. Like, we just – such a I, – I love <laughs> – I mean, you know Mike. I mean, he's – I loved working with him. While I was there, worked with Sarah Kustak. Yeah, We did Sports Sunday together for a while, which is a lot of fun. Rebecca Harlow, who is amazing. I loved working with her. Obviously, Peggy. And I'm sitting there going, oh, like, they're not even – like I'm not even on the radar. Like it's not even a matter of we don't think you're good enough. Like I wasn't even on the radar. Did you? Did you? Did your people get in touch with? Oh yeah. 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 Because I mean, I I obviously wanted the job, right? And I remember Frank saying to me, he said that I was an A reporter, and he thought I was a B anchor. And I was like, oh, okay. I said, well, that makes sense. I mean, I've reported. For a majority of right. my career. Right. The anchoring thing is still something that I'm getting used to. And so I remember I remember the moment when I was like, this isn't going to happen here. And 120 had, they blitzed me hard. They were like, we want you. They're like, why don't you come try it out? Try it out for six weeks. I think it was six weeks. Try it out for six weeks. We're going to give you, we're going to pay you this for the six weeks. And if you don't like it after six weeks, we shake hands and we walk away. I'm like, it's a morning show. It's after doing a nighttime radio oh, show, man, yeah, the turnaround. but every day, five days a week, five days a week. But the, but my justification was I could go hard for five days and now I get the weekends back. Yeah. And I remember the moment where I was like, "It's just not going to happen here." Even though I wanted it to happen in Channel Five, it's not going to happen. And I remember taking out my IFB. Like we had done Sports Sunday, and I was like, "Oh, I, this is it. Like this is going to be the last Sports Sunday that I do." And no one else knew. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I talked with Glick, and I said, "We should have a conversation." You know, like the next day after I kind of made up my mind that I wasn't going to stick around, because they said, well, obviously we still want you to be here. <laughs> but after that, it was a little, it was difficult. And this opportunity was staring me in the face. And Yafa, I got to tell you, the money that they offered me, <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> all right, I can. I'm, And in my mind, I was going, I'm going to do this for six weeks. I'm going to realize I don't like it. I'm gonna go back to my little happy radio show, and that'll be the end of Lawrence doing television. I did it for four years; it was a lot of fun. I got the experience. I'll I'll go go back to being the radio guy. Put my hoodies on and do radio. It turns out, loved it. Absolutely loved it. Met a lot of good people working at 120. Uh, worked with uh, with. Tyler Jacobs over there, Chelsea Gates. Shout out to, uh, to Gates. She just got married. Uh, she just married one of the golfers on the PGA Tour. <laughs> so, and then I got to work with Michael Kim. And I was like, yeah, this
1: is what's up. Like, He and I have the same agent.
0: Seth Mayari, right? Yeah, S- yeah. Seth's good people. Yeah. I've actually had a couple conversations okay. with Seth. He's a good man. Um, and I'd, I don't want to say I didn't look back, but. I said, "Oh, there's other stuff I can do in TV." And it was more it was more built on what I could do anyway. Right. It was the the reading from the prompter stuff is fine, right. but you, this you was you always
1: would have been limited over there.
0: Right, but right. now I can do I can do the stuff that I'm doing on the radio right, was right. what they were asking us to do over yeah. at 120. It worked. I I mean, I enjoyed the 18 months that I was there doing it and then they kind of rebranded and went in the stadium, and I've, I feel like I've kept a really good relationship with all of those people, and like I feel like I've kept a good relationship with all the people at Channel Five. Like yeah. I loved
1: everyone over there, like man. But the part of the story is I I never it never really dawned on me that you were no I didn't first of all when I got here obviously I didn't know that you were at Channel Five, but if you remember, it was you Matt Byrne, you and me were in uh, we were in Arizona. Sp- that's right, spring training. And we went out to to get a grab, grab a bite to eat and I apologize to you because I, I didn't realize that my arrival caused the end of your time at MAQ. And, and I shouldn't even say it like that, but that's how it looks, or that's that's kinda how it felt. And I felt so bad. It wasn't you. I know that, I mean, but, I mean, but like, still, but still. I mean the way, I I didn't like the way it went down. Yeah, I, I wasn't too happy with the which way it went which down. Which has nothing to. to do with me because I didn't know. But still, I, I don't like the way it went. Through.
0: But that's how TV is, yeah, and and yeah. you you learn to deal with it. It's like how but that was, your, is. that was your first time, right? Yeah. And was there resentment? No, no, never? no, never. Oh. Because it wasn't, it wasn't you. Like it wasn't. I if I had any resentment, it was towards Frank. Because I felt like for a long time he had been in my corner, right? And I just felt like, had they even really told me what was going on? And hey, here's the role. Like you're not getting this, but here's the role that we envision for you going forward, and we want you to continue to improve
1: on this, 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 and Man, this. Like, I, I say this all the time about you know when it comes to dealing with customer service or when it comes to a, a sports fandom. Or a relationship with your wife, your friend, whatever—it's so much about expectations and about and about setting those parameters from the get-go. If what was it yesterday? UPS was supposed to deliver something by two thirty. They didn't oh. get there till six thirty. Oh. If listen, I know it's Christmas time. If if you hadn't told me that the estimated delivery time was two thirty, I wouldn't even be checking my app. Right. But you told me it was going to be delivered by two thirty. You guys are. Prompt is I don't know what. So when you're four hours late, you set the expectations you're going to be here four hours earlier. So it's exact same thing with the, the Bears this year, and to an extent. We were
0: promised jetpacks. You guys were 12 and four <laughs> last year. You're supposed to be a Super Bowl team this year, and you're six and six.
1: Now I brought I you your your ears must be ringing because there are so many times this season I brought up your name and Blanzi's name if you remember. before the season began. Si came out and said the Bears would be seven and nine. I asked you guys, would you be shocked? You and Jeff both said yes. I said no.
0: Yeah, I I I think I said I clutched my pearls when I saw <laughs> when I saw right, it. Right, right, right. I joked about it on the air, and I was like, I I I thought there would be regression. I didn't think it would be regression to them starting off where they would have to win
1: three or four just right. to get to six right. and six.
0: Right. You know, I I didn't think that it would it would be that at all.
1: So. Yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, about it's but it's all about the expectations when going into it if 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 you if there wasn't last year which isn't really fair but if there wasn't last year and you said uh second year NFL head coach uh third year quarterback um defense that was awesome the year before if if it was just team X if it was if the years were flipped like
0: if the bears had this season last year People would be like, to "Oh expect- my god!" Right? The, the bears the are on, be totally on the come, and the then totally and right. then now you know you'd be if they
1: flipped it around in 2019 and 2018, then people would get super excited. But I also think part of the problem is that a lot of people felt as though if Cody Parky makes that kick, the Bears are going to the Super Bowl, and I never felt that way.
0: I'm I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, not that i mean I hate talking sports on here, but it's one of the things that my guys talk about over on on NBC Sports Chicago. Yeah, is oh, I thought they were supposed to win the Super Bowl. That that the Cody Parking kick
1: was... Right. The only, only thing that stopped them. Forget only about the, the Rams
0: them. or the Saints. On the, on the road. On the road. You know what I mean? Right. It was right. just all Cody Parking. I think we all kind of fell for the banana in the tailpipe <laughs> <laughs> coming into the 2019 season where you're not... I don't know if we were looking at the right
1: things. I agree with you. And then you, it could be... Do you remember Tony Palo's many Chances? Yeah. I love Tony. Tony is like the biggest Cubs fan in the history of the world. And he, I mean, if you wanted some entertainment, they should really uh, figure out a way to get a camera in there to capture Tony and me arguing during commercial breaks because it's epic. But I remember Tony telling me before they won the World Series in 2016 – they're gonna win four or five World Series. I'm like, yeah. dude, can they win one, please? I'm like, let them win one, please. Let them win one. Think, number one. How number does that two, feel now? You but know? not not just that, but number two, to have this belief that everybody is gonna continuously get better at the same time. That's not how life works. Nope. I'm like Tony. You're older than I am. You know, like you know, life doesn't work like that. Let alone sports. So again, I'm I'm big oh. on expectations. Yeah. So it was it was a I I
0: wouldn't even call it a gut punch necessarily. It, it did feel like I was just moving to the next thing. Yeah. And it all worked out. You've been here for five years. I feel like I've kind of found my niche now in TV and doing stuff with NBC Sports Chicago is exactly, it's exactly
1: suited to my skill set. Yeah. And it's fun. I love that show. Thank you. I No, you could I'll show sure you right on my phone. I DVR it. It's the first thing I do after Bears games. Even when I'm at work at, at NBC5, the first thing I do after Bears game is put you guys on because there's no BS and you're going to keep it real.
0: We try. And I, I, I'm i with a group of – that was the other thing. Like it was so crazy. You talk about how small the industry is. So I did a radio show with Dan Hampton at The Score <laughs> for for like six months. And then we got canceled. Um and then to be over there doing Sports Sunday with him was perfect for us. Wow, you do have a football s- after show. Oh, well, thank you for that. I just realized that I could do that with my phone. I just realized I could watch <laughs> the show with my phone off the DVR. Yeah, But we, like, we ended up doing Sports Sunday together after Bears games, and I was like, this is what we should have been doing. 30 minutes where I could just wind Hamp up and let him go and let him do his thing and I'll just get us in and out of breaks and it turned out great so now I'm with a group of guys that are like that and it's it, what's crazy is I covered those guys like those are, I was in the locker room to, to cover most of Olin's career all of Alex's career all of Lance's career most of it all of uh, uh, Matt's, Matt's career right. so they know me I know them it's fun. It's.
1: It, I think it's. It comes across. Thank you. We but, we try. But at, I love the the interview you did with Joe Kelly sometimes, and and he talked about the fact that he feels as though, um, optimally in his mind, you'd have people who aren't from a certain certain market covering the teams because there's, um, a certain, you you're removed from it in a way. The perspective is different. And. I think it helps me in my career here in Chicago because... I agree with you. I'm not looking at it from the perspective of a fan who grew up loving these teams with everything that I am. I'm able to remove myself and say, you know, I don't know if that's a good... The the, the heart part of it is removed from my analysis, if that makes any sense. Oh, it makes 100%, 100% sense. I,
0: I describe it, for me, I'm no... I stopped being a Bears fan.
1: Yeah, in I, heard you, I heard you say that
0: when you were talking to Cali. How? It just I had some good mentoring at the score. Uh Dan Bernstein played a to say that. <laughs> played a huge role. He did. Like he I when I was a producer and I got promoted. So this is two thousand the last year of Dick Duron as head coach, Dan wrote me a two page letter, like a handwritten letter of what the expectations for me were. Like that, they were sending me up there to Hallis Hall, and that I had expectations. And my expectations were to not be a fanboy, to go up there and ask hard questions, to not be afraid. And it gave me a lot of confidence to be like I'm doing a service for my radio station and for the people who listen to my radio station. Those guys, the Boers and Bernstein show is is a vital part of my own origin story because we were doing bears reports on the score. It was, it was a certain way that we were doing them Mm -hmm. where you bring the reporter on, they tell you what's going on. You have a couple laughs and you get out of here. Dan and Terry told me whatever you want to do. We want to know what you think is interesting with what happened at Hallis Hall. And it may not be, whatever anyone else is. It may be a conversation that you had in the locker room. So they told me that that segment was mine. So when I came on the air, they would get out of the way. I would come on with a piece of tape and say, Hey, this is what happened today. This is what Lovey Smith was talking about. Can you guys believe that he's talking about this? We saw the game last week against Detroit. That's not what happened in the game. So, Hey, I went and talked to this person. Da, da, da. Listen to this. And I was doing packages on the radio Mm. is what I was doing. And they, because they were so trying to get, I want to pick the right word for them. How about this? Since it's my podcast, (laughs) they didn't give a fuck about a relationship with the bears. Mm. They didn't care. And so there was a freedom In that. I've always been jealous of Terry Bores's freedom on the air anyway. But there was a freedom in we bow down to nobody. We're all about trying to tell the truth as we see it. Yeah. And it may not always be nice. Sometimes sometimes it's nice. Things are good. They're supposed to be good. But that that once I got that letter, once I got a feel for how to do the job, it's gone. And it'll never come back. Like for Dan, he it now has come back for him now that he's God twenty years from removed from being the Bears reporter for the score. I also take that lineage pretty seriously because the line of succession is Mike Greenberg, Dan Bernstein, Zach Zaidman, me. Like so, that's when you've got that as your your lineage yeah. of reporting. There's a standard that that has to be kept up and that's why i love that bears beat overall i feel like no disrespect to any other beat i feel like that's the toughest beat that's the stuff that callie's talking about that for the most part that beat include peggy in that that's the beat where the tough questions are being asked and there's a lack of um a lack of fear i think in other places there's Either other other places in the city. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think there's a there's more fear about well, if if we don't cover the Cubs, and are we gonna have access to the Cubs? Or with the Bulls thing, other than Cali, you know, <laughs> and Cali out there, and, and it's different styles. Like Casey was doing the job, but not as loudly sure, as Cali sure, was doing sure. it. That sort of thing. But I take a lot of pride that that's. How I was raised as a reporter. And it sucks because I loved the Bears as a kid. And now the only reason that I care now is that it's good for the radio station. The Bears being good is good for the score. It's good for Channel Five. It's good for NBC Sports Chicago. But I don't emote. And it sucks. I still emote with the White Sox. Like that's still, I still admit that openly. I still emote. Although I'm, I, would, I would say that I'm harder on them than anybody because I emote. And I don't want that bias to come out as me being pro-Sox even when I know they're not doing a great job of team building or winning championships. And I try to be extra fair to the Cubs because I'm a White Sox fan. So I want to be try and be as fair as possible. But, I mean, I miss it sometimes. Like, I miss <laughs> I miss being in the room. It, I think it comes across in the football after show because after we do, like, Matt Negi or, or Mitchell Trubisky, like, I'll be sitting there. And my guys are – my favorite moment in broadcasting and doing this show, we were doing the show a couple years ago, and Lance goes, what are you doing? Like, we were listening to one of the press conferences. Like, I'm writing down – Answers and questions because I want to ask you guys some of this stuff and I want to be able to quote it verbatim because it's ridiculous. (laughs) He's like, you do this all the time. I said, that's what I did for a living when I covered you guys. So I'm I'm used to doing it this way and Lance started to take notes during press conferences. That's hilarious. He still does
1: to this day. Yeah, he
0: I mean they do like now you could do it on your phone and right, stuff, right, right, right. but they pick up on stuff really quickly like there's like tone of stuff that they're like, "Oh, that's not good." I'm like, "What do you mean?" Like they know because they've sure, been in the room. Yeah. But that was a good moment for me where one of my colleagues that I respect was like, "Oh, You've got an interesting way of doing things. (laughs) I might try and do some of that myself.
1: But it's fun, man. So I appreciate your support of that show. I love that show. and I I, I really appreciate the fact that being in your home market, you can remove yourself. Because like Callie was saying, man, we're talking to the consumers of this product, and they deserve to know the truth. They don't deserve to be fed the party line. We don't work for these teams. We're not part of their... Their PR firm. We're not getting checks. No, we're not an extension of them. If they do something good, we can we can opine that we think it's good. But if it's bad, I'm going to say it's bad too. And we're not being a hater. I hate I hate I can't stand that that whole you're being a hater. Or you're you're being negative. Man, I'm just being real. You don't like it because you want to drink the syrup. Facts. Don't you yeah.
0: have to go back and go do the ten o'clock? I told you we were gonna run over, man. i good, man. I told you we were run over the I'm time. Good. This is hilarious. This is great. I'm good. All right, well then let me let me wrap things up a little because right. you know we've been talking for two hours, right? No. Yeah, it's right there <laughs> on the screen. It's right there on the screen. All right, I don't even know. This might be a two parter. I don't even know. <laughs> um, what what do you like most about being at five and being in Chicago?
1: Um, so. I think there are very few markets that I, being a, a diehard sports fan who grew up in Philadelphia or South Jersey, could comfortably work in. Um, I've done New York. New York is an interesting market because I've worked in places in New York where there are no sports fans. Really? Yes. It's that big of a city. I mean, You've have, got you have 18 million oh, so people working there. You're going to come across people who just don't care. You know what I mean? Um, Philadelphia, Chicago, Boston are three cities where I think sports are an integral part of the fabric of those cities. It's it's really hard to find people who just don't care in those cities. Um, fair or not, I, I, I don't know why this is— I just always felt like Boston has that do they like black people thing you know what i mean i i I'm sure it's not fair i'm I'm sure it's not totally accurate, but there is that reputation and I think a lot of i mean the athletes there have said it yeah it's it's not just
0: something that us sports say it's right people who live there there's a reason that the the Yawkees were the the last family to to integrate right. Major League
1: Baseball. And- so whenever whenever Boston came up with my agent, I always kind of had that, nope. You know, great sports town, but I don't know. Um, I, I never had those feelings about Chicago. I, I was ecstatic when the White Sox won in 2005. I believe it was my birthday. I'm pretty sure Game 4 was on my birthday, October 26th. Um, 2003 was, I mean, I watched that in Philly. It was a heartbreaker. I, I always wanted the Cubs to do well. Um, the Bears and the Eagles aren't a natural rival, right? First Super Bowl I ever watched was was '85. I was a little dorky. What was I eight? But I love the Super Bowl Shuffle. I love I love the Refrigerator Perry. Um, I don't know. I just, Chicago's is just such a unique, amazing town. It's it's. Bigger and has more to offer than Philly, which is where I'm from. I say I'm from Philly. Listen, I'm from South Jersey, but it's so close to Philly. And if I say Pensauken or Cherry Hill or Marlton, it means nothing to anybody. So I say Philly because it's 15 minutes from Same there. Same thing as Cheryl Scott. Exactly. That's All right. Um, New York, Chicago is way more livable, manageable, and, and doable than New York City. I could never have had my family living in South Jersey and done a six-month trial living in an apartment in New York City. Could never, ever do it. Um, the best part about working here and covering these teams, people care. When when there's a big event, when there's something big that happens, I'm in the A block, which is rare, but when it happens, I know it's because this is important and people care. Mm. And that's a good feeling. I mean, a lot, listen, a lot of the, October, or the first week of October of this year was the first time since I've been in the main anchor chair That we didn't have a a, a playoff baseball team. Um, The Bears were getting ready to go to London. The Blackhawks weren't starting until that Friday in Prague. Right. The Bulls weren't starting until the following week. So for a few days there, all I had to talk about was like practice. And I'm not trying to do Alan Iverson thing, but I'm I'm saying seriously, like there's there really wasn't much going on. and that really makes you appreciate when things aren't are going on and when there is a big story and when the teams are successful or something meaningful is happening and people really do appreciate that. I love that feeling. There's there's like a like a palpable energy that courses through your veins when, you know, you're 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 back at your desk trying to trying to write your scripts and go over what you're talking about and then you have to rush out there and you have to do it and it's important.
0: It feels great. I'm glad you guys invited me back on to Sports Sunday cuz I like now that I don't have to, you know, do the heavy lifting <laughs> on the show, I can just be me. It's fun. Um, it's really, it's really fun because I've worked with Blanzy, obviously, like doing DePaul games. Right, right, right. It's fun to come over and just kind of hang out. Yeah. That and channel five's got a lot of staying power, man. You'd be shocked. So I haven't been on channel five as a reporter or anchor since 2014, right? right? Right. I get asked all the time, yo, man. I saw you on Channel Five last <laughs> week. Like, wh- when are you gonna be back on there? I'm like, what? Like, I haven't been over there in five That's years. Hilarious. It's on the South Side in particular. That is hilarious. Yo, man, she's looking good on Channel
1: Five last week. I'm like, no, I wasn't.
0: I wasn't on. Ch-
1: Oh my goodness. Maybe Chris Hush, I don't know. I maybe <laughs> I wish I, I was know. that handsome.
0: Are you kidding me? Well, Siafa, thank you for, for coming Hello, and being on man. House thank of you L. so much for having me. Man, this is great. Um I don't even know what I'm gonna do with all of this. I'm there's a lot to it, here. I can't
1: I can't stand my voice, but good luck
0: with Well, that. a lot of people are gonna listen to it, so that's a really, really good thing. Is there anything you'd like to promote or anything? Nothing? Watch sports Sunday, Sunday night.
1: Check me out on Instagram, Siapha Lewis NBC for uh Fun pictures of ridiculous craft beer, silly fashion, some cars, sometimes my family. Uh, follow me on Twitter. I won't be rude, but don't come at me wrong. See off Lewis, NBC. Sports Sunday, Sunday nights, 1030 from January through September. September through January, it's after Sunday night football. Jeff Landy and I, we try to have fun. Um, we show a little bit more personality than we do during the week. Um, it's a little little, little bit more You can more. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, just support Lawrence, man. Lawrence is the best. Thank you. That is the best-dressed
0: man on television in Chicago. (laughs) It's not even close. And Ryan Baker's going to get mad. Don't get too mad, Bake, because you're not there. You've got the style. But, I mean, come on. Have you seen Siafa in a suit? When I saw you, I was like, oh, yeah, obviously. That that makes sense. I'm I'm going to go work over somewhere else. Oh, man. So that's Siafa. That was fun, man. We had a really good time. I I talked with his producer, Steve Lippo. <laughs> Cause I went over and did Sports Sunday on Sunday. And he goes, What the hell were you guys talking about for so long? And I said, Well, you know, it just I kept asking Siafa if he had to go. And he's like, No, he didn't have to go. And then he he walked in channel five like a few minutes before the 10 o'clock news started. So Shout out to Steve Lippo and that crew over there. Um, Lauren Nisovich, my girl Niz, Kevin Kehoe. I still got a lot of friends over there at Channel 5, and it's really great to see them. And it's really great that they're they're all doing really well. It was it was a lot of fun, but you're looking for some answers. You kind of got them right there. Let me uh, take a look at your email. By the way... If you would like to send me audio clips, I'm totally stealing this from Neil Brennan's podcast, but if you like to send me audio clips, like you want to ask your question in audio form, instead of sending it via typing, you can do that. Just send me a clip and I'll put it into the episode. And then I can answer your question. And you can hear your voice on the podcast. House of L podcast at gmail.com. That's, podcast at gmail.com, and I'll get you on the podcast if your question's really good. I I actually think it might be a lot of fun. It might be interesting to to hear your voice. So I want to try that out. I'm not going to completely abandon people writing in, but if you didn't want to write in, you wanted to send me the audio instead, I'd be down for putting the audio on the podcast and seeing if that changes the way that that, uh, it sounds. Okay, cool, cool. All right, let me take a look at some of the emails that have come in. This is from Nate, who says, I'm listening to Josina's episode, and I'm curious if you ever broke a big story while on the Bears beat, or do you have a story, but someone else beat you to it? Also, you talked about Tony Gill being your new boss at NBC Sports, but I'm not aware of NBC Sports-affiliated podcasts. Are you holding out on us or am I missing something? No, I retweet this all the time. Nate, I do the under center podcast with the football after show crew. Like after we're done doing the, the show, the TV show, we sit around for another 20 minutes and then do a podcast. It's the under center podcast. It's our bears podcast on NBC sports, Chicago. That's why people say I have four podcasts. Cause I kind of do, I have four podcasts. I have House of L, which you're listening to right now. I have Loho Daily, which I do, which is primarily on sports for for uh, radio I have the show podcast each day and I do the under center podcast a couple times a week. And there's plenty of other NBC Sports Chicago podcasts like the White Sox talk podcast, which got a lot of play Last week, because Cole Hamels was on it talking about how he wanted to be on the White Sox, and then, like, the next day, he signed with the Atlanta Braves. Okay? So no one's holding out on you. You're just not paying attention. But I appreciate the email. Let's see who else is in here. Who I'm – let's see. All right, this one – I think I already did that. I think I did the the ask for – The ask for Brian Hanley to be on the podcast. I absolutely would like him for him to be on it and have invited him multiple times. He has declined. I understand that. Okay. Lawrence, I dig the podcast so much. Try and get Megan Gailey on the show. She is an L.A.-based comic who went to Purdue and did some great time in Chicago with the likes of Drew Michael and Joe Kilgallen and comedians you should know. Well, that could help me out. She regularly does shows with Dave Hellum, and I'm positive you would dig her. Otherwise, keep up the great work, all over the place. And that's from Dave. Dave, I hope you listen to Dave Hellum's episode of the podcast. I gotta get Kill Gallon on on the podcast. I really like him. Uh, he's a sharp guy. I really like it. Dig his whole vibe. Um, and we hit it off, and you know we, we talk about the the White Sox versus the Cubs and all that good stuff. But all right, I'm, I'll take a look at her stuff. I definitely I saw. One of the best comedy shows I ever saw, Drew Michael was actually on it. This it crazy Christmas Eve show that Schumer and uh, Hannibal Burris put together over at the Beat Kitchen. And it was those two were the headliners, and you put that in quotes. But it was I was literally standing next to John Mullaney as he was getting ready to go on stage. Dion Cole showed up. It was bananas. And Drew Michael was one of the comedians as well, along with Dave Ellum. So, yeah, I'll I'll definitely check out our work and see what you can do. Let's see. Who else made it? And, again, you want to email us, you can email us at Podcast at gmail.com. We've got time for one more. Hi, Lawrence. One of my favorite episodes. Uh, he's talking about the Ranji episode. Much like the golf episodes, there's no doubt that you genuinely care for each other. Makes for an easy conversation and even easier listening. Can't wait for you to have him back for more insider stories. Glad you are back up to every week. Any chance of lining up Jen Latta? I've been a fan of her reporting since she was local in Milwaukee, even though she was reporting on the Packers. Keep putting it out, and I'll keep listening. It's from Tim and Racine. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, man. Jen's one of my favorites. Is Her and I, like, we... She she jokes whenever she comes back, you know, she calls me and Ranji her cellmates because we all used to be over at the cell covering White Sox stuff. But she's I mean, one of the things I like about Jen is like she's no joke. Like she doesn't mess around and don't let the small statures fool you at all. And if if you are a fan of Jen Latta, I would suggest that you go back and listen to the Kelly Crawl episode. Because she, she speaks very highly of Jen. But yeah, I'll reach out to Jen and Dario. See if they both want to be uh, on the podcast. I think it'd be fun for, for both of those. But thank you. I appreciate that for sure. Thanks for setting me straight. Um, so I think we're done. I think we're done with episode 85. I appreciate everyone's support. And again, if you want to send audio i can dump it into one of the future episodes with your question same thing house of l podcast at gmail.com i'll get it on there and we'll see if it all works out but thanks for listening to the the podcast today hope you enjoyed it go back and check through some of the older episodes man i'm telling you it's people that you like that have been on this podcast that you have not listened to and you're gonna love it when you see it i'll talk to you next week
1: Peace.